With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Go For It. I am your host, Paul Gannon. For the next two hours, we will be talking sports and having fun doing it. I want all your ideas, all your opinions, and all your beliefs. And of course, as always, you will get a heavy dose of my opinion. If you have an opinion, a number to call, 646-727-3070. That's 646-727-3070. You can listen to the show at blogtalkradio.com slash pgant. That's blog. TalkRadio.com slash PGAN. And you can send messages to the show at the chat room at blogtalkradio.com slash PGAN or on Twitter at GoForItGAN, which is G-O-F-O-R-I-T-G-A-N-T. So follow me on Twitter at GoForItGAN while you're there. And more often than not, I'll follow back. Great show lined up for you today. Expected to be joined by Houston Rockets forward Greg Smith and Greg and his Rockets gave the Oklahoma City Thunder all they could handle in that first-round series. Got down 3-0, made a nice little run, took it all the way to game six, and had a legitimate shot, especially after Russell Westbrook went down. But we're going to talk to Greg about that series against Oklahoma City, about his offseason. The, Rocket, the Rockets, I should say, a team that we may have to look out for in the near future. Uh, got some cap room, who knows. Maybe they can make a play for Dwight Howard. Who knows? Maybe they can even make a play for Andrew Bynum. We don't know what Andrew Bynum is going to be or what Andrew Bynum is, but who knows? But the Rockets are a team, definitely star power with with James Harden. And James Harden said he's going to actively recruit in this offseason. He's going to recruit some guys in this offseason to Houston. So we're going to talk to Greg Smith about that and, and all things Houston Rockets to talk about what he needs to do now in this offseason to become a better player. Speaking of the NBA playoffs, which are hot and heavy, which are good times, I mean, I don't know how you could not like. If you don't like the NBA playoffs, you don't like basketball. If you don't like that, then you don't like NBA basketball. Uh, to steal a quote there. Um, great games last night, of course, New York and Indiana, the Knicks got back on track there, being down 3-1. And that was a game you expected the Knicks to win. I mean, I expected the Knicks to win that game against the Pacers the other night. I mean, it was do or die, win or go home type situation for the Knicks. And, you know, this is a team that's been fairly good at home, and this is a team you expected to come up with the performance that they came up with last night. It didn't. It did help that George Hill suffered from a concussion. It did help that he wasn't there. That helped. That definitely helped the Knicks' cause. But, you know, the Knicks, Carmelo Anthony played well. J.R. Smith 
started to hit some shots. And the thing about J.R. Smith is, you know, you look at him, he has a way. He's he's a streaky shooter. He epitomizes a streak shooter. They have their moments. When they have their moments and they're going, they're going. There's no stopping them. But when they're off, they're off. And they're stopping themselves pretty much. I mean, J.R. Smith was awful, awful. And he, and he got back a little bit last night, I mean, only one for four from downtown, but four for 11, uh, 13 points in that game the other night. And, and that's just much better than what we have seen from J.R. Smith in these playoffs, well, in this series, I should. So ever since he threw that elbow against Jason Terry in the, against the Boston Celtics, ever since he threw that elbow, you know, it's been a kind of a, a rough, rough sledding for J.R. Smith. Rough, rough sledding for him. I mean, four for 15, uh, game one. Four, I mean, three for 15 in game two, four for 12 in game three, seven for 22 in game four, four for 11, not much better, but better considering the way he's been playing. I mean, he's been, it's been a rough time for J.R. Smith. There's really no denying that. I mean, it's been rough in this series. I mean, he's starting, if you're in the Knicks, you hope he can get back on track. And he is the key. If he can get back on track, the Knicks are a much better team because when they shoot, they shoot a lot of threes, and when those threes are clicking, when those threes are connecting, the Knicks are a tough team to beat. The thing about it is that the threes weren't connecting. J.R. Smith, your sixth man of the year winner. Granted, Jamal Crawford probably should have won it, but he didn't. But J.R. Smith, I mean, he's averaging 1.43 points per game in this series. You know, so he, he's got to do better than that. He's got to average more than one three-pointer per game. He's got to do better. Got to do better. I mean, in this series, he's seven for uh, seven for thirty from downtown. Seven for thirty from downtown. You know, you, it, it's going to be very difficult for the New York Knicks to win basketball games if J.R. Smith is shooting those, those type of percentages. It, it's just going to be tough sledding for the Knicks. J.R. Smith has to pick it up, and he picked it up a little bit last night. Copeland came in and, and gave the Knicks some minutes, and everybody's been crying for Copeland. Everybody's been crying for Chris Copeland. Where's Copeland? How come uh, he's not getting the minutes? Why is Chris Copeland not getting the minutes for the New York Knicks? And then you could argue maybe if, you're, if Chris Copeland is your savior, then might, you might have a problem. But anyway, Chris Copeland came in last night and gave the Knicks what everybody has been clamoring for, four for six. Three for four from downtown, 13 big points coming off the bench. I mean, we've, a lot of the fans have been saying, where's Copeland? Where's Copeland? I'm reading message boards. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. Where's Chris Copeland? Where's Chris Copeland? And before that, he had to score. He played 12 minutes in game four, only one minute in game three, only eight minutes in game one, and had 10 minutes in game two, nearly doubled that 10 minutes last night. And he, he was effective. He gave the Knicks big-time minutes, spread spread the floor, shot the three ball, gave them some points off the bench, gave them what they were missing from J.R. Smith. That's, they, they were missing the production that they were getting from J.R. Smith, and Chris Copeland came in and, there and, and, and helped the Knicks out there. He need, They needed help. They needed a lot of help. They needed a lot of help. And they got it last night from Chris Copeland. Mello, 
was still balling and still playing well. And Melo, again, got back on the right track. Got back on the right track. That was important. That was very important for the Knicks to get Melo back, get some production from Chris Copeland, and J.R. Smith kind of got out of his funk, played a little better, played a little better. But again, that was a game you expected the Knicks to get. I expected the Knicks to get that game. I expect that. I wasn't surprised by anything I saw last night. Was not surprised at all. How about Jason Kidd? Speaking of the Knicks and, and speaking of a guy who's been struggling, this guy, I mean, when is the last time Jason Kidd has had a field goal? I mean, it's been tough sledding for Jason Kidd. I mean, goodness gracious. He has not had a field goal. Oh, four, eight in this series. And he is acting his age right now. He is acting his age, 40 years old, acting his age, playing his age right now for the New York Knicks. But that's another story for another time. But you look at the Knicks moving forward. And it did help that uh, George Hill was not there because George Hill had a tremendous game four. It helped that he was not there. But, again, that was a game you expected the Knicks to have. That's not surprising what happened last night at Madison Square Garden. Now, I don't think anybody's truly surprised that the Knicks won last night. Now, the, the big thing is what's going to happen tomorrow. What's going to happen in game number six? Which now is, I mean, obviously now, it's do or die. It's do or die for the New York Knicks. It's truly win or go home. But I said at the end of game four, when the Knicks got down 3-1 in this series, that this series was not over. Reality is, if the Knicks can keep on winning, two out of the final three games are at MSG. And that's the place the Knicks were 31-10. and They were 31-10 and at MSG. So they, had an op- they have an opportunity now. If they can win tomorrow, and the Knicks could conceivably go into Indiana and win. I, I, I think the Knicks could win tomorrow night. I really do. Will they? Yes, they will. The New York Knicks will take this series to seven. This is going to be a seven-game series. And I expect a huge effort out of Melo tomorrow. I think Melo's going to give the Knicks a big-time effort tomorrow. And the thing about it is, you know, this is about Melo now, his legacy, his playoff legacy. He's building his playoff legacy right now. And it would be big for Melo if he can go out there now and put up some big-time numbers. He can do it. He can do it. He has the potential. To do it, obviously. We see what Melo has done. He is the scoring champ. He's a scoring champ for a reason. So he can do it. And I expect a big effort out of Melo tomorrow. I also expect J.R. Smith to get back on the good foot. He's streaky. He can shoot you in a game, shoot you out of a game. He's been shooting the Knicks out of a few games in this series. But he can sure shoot you right back in a game. He can shoot you right back into a series. So I expect a big effort out of J.R. Smith tomorrow night. I expect this to go seven. It should be interesting the health. You know, Melo's been struggling with that shoulder, but it should be interesting the health of George Hill, who was big time for the Pacers. You wonder what he's going to be. David West was, was clutching, you know, grimacing with that leg yesterday. If you're a Pacers fan, hopefully he's back. 
I think the Knicks will take this game, take this series to seven. I really do. I expect a big effort out of the Knicks tomorrow night. It should be very, very interesting to see what we get. But I just think I like Melo in this spot for some reason. I don't know why. I like Melo in this spot tomorrow night. This is a, this is a, the type of game where, you know, and, and you know, I don't I don't know if this is a fair comparison, and I don't know if it's a legitimate comparison. But gonna but I'm gonna make the comparison. I want to make the comparison anyway. It's similar to me to you know remember Celtics Heat last year where you know the the, the Celtics were in control, had an opportunity to close out the series, had an opportunity to close out the series against the Miami Heat and LeBron James. And LeBron James goes into Boston, and he went into Boston, and he had, it was something different about LeBron James against the Celtics in that particular game. He was focused. You know, you didn't see, you know, LeBron's a guy that likes to smile, likes to joke around. You didn't see that. You saw a guy that was determined. You saw a focus like no other. I mean, he hit 12 of his first 13 shots, have 30 first-half points, and went on to have 45 big points, 15 big rebounds, and five assists in that particular ballgame. He truly did it all. And that was the type of game where, you know what, LeBron had to step up. And if he was going to, to silence the critics, those who say he doesn't have a clutch gene, those who say, you know, LeBron isn't clutch, LeBron doesn't do it when it matters in the fourth quarter, he had to shut everybody up. And it didn't even go down to the fourth quarter because LeBron James was big time in that game, blew the Celtics out on their home court, and, I mean, it was his best performance, I think, as a pro. 45-15-5 on the biggest stage, the Eastern Conference Finals, with your team needing the game the most. I'm, to, I, I'm trying to, and I'm going to put this type of pressure on Melo. I'm expecting Melo to have that type of performance. I'm expecting Melo to go into Indiana and put up big-time numbers against the Pacers. He is going to have to do it, I think, if the Knicks want to get that game. I'm expecting a big-time performance out of Carmelo Anthony tomorrow night in Indiana. Maybe not 45-15-5, but I'm expecting 30 to 35 points, six to eight rebounds, dishing out three, four assists. I'm expecting that type of performance out of Melo tomorrow night in Indiana. And I think it's the type of performance Indiana's going to, I mean, not Indiana, New York is going to need if they want to win that game and ultimately get game seven in their building. We shall see. The Pacers in their history have never lost a 3-1, have never lost a series when they were up 3-1. Conversely, the Knicks have never won a series when they were down 3-1. But who cares about that stat because not many teams have won series being down 3-1. So, you know, that, that that's not really a surprising thing. I just threw it out there, why not? But it's not really that surprising because not too many teams come back from 3-1. That's just reality in the NBA. But tomorrow's going to be interesting. This has been a, a big-time series. It's starting to get a little more physical, and you expect that physicality to continue tomorrow night in Indiana. I'm expecting 
a nice big time game out of Carmelo Anthony. I'm expecting Mello, Carmelo Anthony, to have a big time game. Similar to LeBron James. When LeBron James and, and that if the the Heat would have lost that series last year, the big three may have been broken up, first of all, and how we view LeBron James today may be totally different if he does not come up with that type of effort against the Boston Celtics in game six of the 2012 Eastern Conference Finals. We would look at him totally different than we look at him today. So it should be interesting to see what happens. But the Miami Heat are waiting for either one of these teams. And I think both of these teams, whether the Pacers or the Knicks, are going to give the Heat a tough series. I don't think they'll beat the Heat, but they'll give them a tough series. And we'll get to the Heat and the Bulls in a moment. But I want to go to the San Antonio and the Golden State Warriors. And, you know, the Golden State Warriors, they were a team that just battled and battled and battled. But the reality is they were just outgunned by the San Antonio Spurs. And also the reality is when you lose your best – when your best player – you didn't lose him, he was there. But when your best player is a little hobbled, when your best player is not at 100% and you are the inferior team here, uh, because San Antonio has more talent than Golden State in this particular series. San Antonio has more talent than Golden State. There's no doubt about it. But when you're the the inferior team like Golden State, you can't have injuries. Bogut, bothered by an ankle. Steph Curry, obviously, bothered by an ankle. And that's been his Achilles heel. That's been his kryptonite throughout the course of his career. That ankle, twisting that ankle, always twisting that ankle. And that's been an Achilles heel for Steph Curry. But the reality is, after that ankle, and he gutted it out in game four, and their Warriors were able to win in overtime in game four. But, you know, game five, he wasn't the same type of player, wasn't moving like he had been moving throughout the course of these playoffs and, of course, throughout the course of this series. He was not moving the way we know and love Steph Curry to move, the way he's been moving throughout the course of these playoffs. It just wasn't that guy. He wasn't that guy. And you knew with that ankle injury it was going to be tough for Golden State, and it turned out it, it, it was tough for Golden State. After that, it, it was tough for Golden State. And ultimately, San Antonio won the series, and, and it was a tough series, and Golden State, they're probably probably kicking themselves for what happened in game one, how they just gave that game up. They were able to come back. I mean, give Golden State a lot of credit because they were able to come back in game two and have a big-time performance out of Clay Thompson and ultimately win that game and then come back in game four with your star, Steph Curry, hobbled and able to gut that game out, come back in the fourth quarter there and win it in overtime. So give them a lot of credit. They, this is a team with a lot of heart, and their coach has a lot of heart. Mark Jackson, I mean, we've all thought in our heads, you know what, this guy could be a great coach. This guy, if given the opportunity, could be a big-time coach. And he turned out, to, at this point in his career, to be a big-time coach. He motivates like no other. He, he preaches. He is a preacher. Uh, and he's preaching and, and pushing this ball club to higher, higher limits. And, and you know what? No one expected Golden State to be as good as they were this year. And no one, quite frankly, there's a lot of people who counted them out against Denver in the first round. So they, what they did during this season was, was, was remarkable. And they're building. David Lee, hopefully he can come back healthy. Clay Thompson, Curry, Bogan, if he can 
stay healthy. Golden State has some decent pieces there. <clears throat> and we've seen Steph Curry finally. I mean, we knew the talent that he has. We've seen the talent that he has. But, he, you know, he, 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 on this, he was on this stage, the playoff stage. And when you're on this playoff stage, that's when you start making names for yourself. You start making a name for yourself on this playoff stage. And Steph Curry made a name for himself on this playoff stage with some of the performances he has had in these playoffs. I mean, that third quarter against Denver was that game four was nothing short of remarkable. And then that performance in game one against San Antonio where he had 44 big points, remarkable performances. You know, we've seen a lot of remarkable performances out of Steph Curry in these playoffs. And, you know, he's he's close, and he's working out his way towards superstar status. He's working his way towards superstar status. And, I mean, he, he's been big time. He has absolutely been big time. But it's over for Steph Curry. It's over for him. You know, and he was big time. And he wanted, I wanted to see the series go on. You know, I was just rooting for Game 7. It's nothing like a Game 7 in the NBA playoffs. Nothing like it, especially with Steph Curry, because you never know what could happen with this guy. You'd love to see him in a in a Game 7, because you get him in a Game 7, and, you know, anything can happen in a Game 7. Granted, the Spurs will have home court, and granted, you always favor the home team in a, seven, in a Game 7. But with Steph Curry and his ability to light it up, I mean, that Game 1, that 44 and 11, 44 points, 11 assists in Game 1, Truly, truly remarkable. That performance again, Game Four against Golden uh, against Denver, where he went crazy in the third quarter. I mean, absolutely crazy in the third quarter. I mean, just some of the performances he has had in these playoffs have been remarkable. He's been totally, truly, truly remarkable. I'm impressed by what we've seen out of Steph Curry, but you know, the San Antonio Spurs are the San Antonio Spurs. This is is any more professional team than the Spurs? Over the years, I mean, Greg Popovich has this team prepared like no other. This is a veteran-laden ball club. And this is a ball club, you know, last night. I mean, Tony Parker wasn't at his best, and they still found a way to step it up. Tim Duncan, all reliable, stepped in, 19 points, six rebounds. Balance attack, Kawhi Leonard putting some, some numbers for the Spurs, and he played well. And ultimately, you know, the Spurs were able to do what many expected them to do and do what they should have done. It should be interesting now moving forward what happens with the San Antonio Spurs. It should be interesting to see what happens in the Western Conference Finals against the Memphis Grizzlies. That should be a very, very interesting series for a lot of reasons. Rematch of a series that happened two years ago where the Grizzlies were the eighth seed and the Spurs were the number one seed. But if you watched that series, you would have thought the Grizzlies were the number one seed. They really, really took it to the Spurs in that particular series two years ago. And I'm looking at the rosters, and, you know, the rosters are not really all that different. You know, they're, they're not that much different. The, the key guys are still there, Ginobili, the Parkers, and the, the Duncans. And, you know, obviously for the, the Grizzlies at the time, they lost Rudy Gay for the playoffs in that particular series. And, you know, their key guys are still there, the Gasols and the Randolphs and the Conleys. Actually, Mike Conley has gotten better. He's gotten better for the Memphis Grizzlies and picked up some of the offensive slack that was lost when you trade away a guy like Rudy Gay. Now, I, I think they can continue to be successful without Rudy Gay in this series. 
But here's the thing. Here, here's here's kind of the thing I'm looking at here. When when I I, I think you know. The key thing to me when I look at this series is, A, can they continue to score the points? And I, and I think they will continue to be able to score the points. I think they will continue to have success down low. And, and their wing defenders and Prince and Tony Allen are going to give Leonard some problems. Who knows, maybe those guys will spend some time on Tony Parker. And then they have an opportunity to limit Tony Parker. You're not going to shut down Tony Parker. You can limit Tony Parker, but you're not going to shut down Tony Parker, but the cast of characters from 2010, 2011 till now are about the same. They are about the same. They are about the same. The main, the key guys, the key guys are about the same. They are about the same. And you wonder now, you wonder. Will the Grizzlies duplicate what they did in 2010, 2011? They have a very good shot to do it. And I'm expecting them and predicting them to win the series against the Spurs. I like the Grizzlies in six. I like the way this team is flowing right now. I like the way they're playing. I, I like. I was impressed by what they did against the Clippers in that first round. The Clippers team that's had a lot of success against the Grizzlies. How the Grizzlies were down 2-0 and able to win the final four games of that series and ultimately win that series. You know, I was impressed by what they did against the Oklahoma City. Even though Kevin Durant, I mean, even Kevin Durant was there and he struggled in that game five, but even though Westbrook wasn't there, the Grizzlies were able to be dominant in that series and win that series in five games. They didn't play around. They didn't let the series go longer than it should have. You look at it, Grizzlies probably should have swept this series. They should have won game one. They were in control of that one, and Kevin Durant was heroic and, and hit some big shots in that particular game, and ultimately OKC was able to win that game. But you look at the whole situation, the Grizzlies could have easily swept OKC. This should be a very interesting series, Grizzlies, Spurs. Uh, you, you wonder, Ginobili, is he okay? Is he all right? Is he 100%? But just in general, I mean, this is an older Spurs team, and Duncan is going to have to play tough. Duncan is going to have to play tough in this series. They're going to need him to be at his best. Gasol and Randolph are a load. They are a load. You know, the best center and power forward combination in this game. So it's going to be tough. He, he's not playing against Andrew Bogut here. And Andrew Bogut, one of the better centers in this league before his injury. But, you know, you're playing a Mark Gasol, defensive player of the year, but somehow was second team all defensive player in the second team all defense in the NBA, which is kind of strange. But anyway. You know, you're, you're playing up against Gasol, who's who's a big top defender, a, a guy who's one of the better centers in this game. What top two center in this game? Probably the second best center in this game, Marcus Gasol. And then you got Zach Randolph, one of the better power forwards, top ten power forward in this game. So you know, Tim Duncan, Splitter, and those guys, you know, they have their work cut out for them in this series. This is going to be a good series, but I think this is going to be a series that I think the Spurs are going to lose. I like the Grizzlies here. I, I like the Memphis Grizzlies. I like what they've done in these playoffs. I like the toughness of this team, the coaching. Lionel Hollins doesn't get the credit that he truly, truly deserves. A lot of times we, we tend to overlook Lionel Hollins, but you know what? This is a guy 
who's really coached, coached his butt off. He's coached his butt off. And I'm expecting big things out of the Grizzlies in this series. I think the Memphis Grizzlies had the best shot to beat the Miami Heat because I think the Miami Heat are going to the finals. I think the Grizzlies have the oh, – no disrespect to the Knicks or the Pacers, but the Miami Heat are going to the finals. But I think the Grizzlies do have what it takes to beat the San Antonio, not only the San Antonio Spurs, but the Miami Heat. They have what it takes to beat the Miami Heat. And these two teams have split the regular season series 2-2. So these are, these are two evenly matched teams. These are two evenly matched teams. The key is, I think Tim Duncan is going to be the key in this series. What do they get out of Tim Duncan in this series? How good will he'll, he'll be in this series? And obviously Tony Parker has to be special. You gotta be he's has to be special. And if Mike Conley continues the way continues to play the way he's been playing in these playoffs, eighteen points per game average in these playoffs, it's gonna be tough. Absolutely tough to beat the Grizzlies. And you look at the season series between these two teams, Spurs beat the Grizzlies in overtime in December, Grizzlies come back and beat the Spurs in January in overtime, and then the Spurs beat the Grizzlies in January and then the Grizzlies came back and beat the Spurs. So, you know, the, the, the Grizzlies lost at home to the Spurs in December, beat the Spurs in San Antonio, lost to the Spurs at home, then beat the Spurs. So, you know, this should be a very interesting series. And, you know, I'm really looking forward to this one. This is not the series we expected. I mean, obviously we didn't expect OKC I mean, we we expected OKC to be here. We expected the Oklahoma City Thunder to be in this position. We did not expect the Memphis Grizzlies to be here. And, and the reality is, you know, injuries are injuries. And injuries, and I mean, that's been the theme of these playoffs, injuries. Steph Curry, his ankle, wasn't 100% and wasn't the same player that we've seen earlier in this series against the San Antonio Spurs. Gallinari for Denver. Towards ACL near the end of the year. That was big. Second leading scorer on that team. Big time. Derrick Rose, of course. You know, and him obviously not playing this whole season, but not even not obviously not playing this whole season. And you know, many of Saints been speculating he could have came back, should have came back, but he never came back in this particular playoffs. You know, this has been about injuries. These playoffs have truly, truly been about injuries. And who is the healthiest team? The healthiest team is going to be the team that survives. And then you look at the Miami Heat, Dwayne Wade, even though he came in there and had a big-time performance in the fourth quarter against the Chicago Bulls, but you look at Dwayne Wade, how healthy will he be moving forward? What can we expect out of Dwayne Wade moving forward? And that's going to be big. I think it'll be they have enough to get by anybody in the Eastern Conference, whether it's Indiana or the New York Knicks. But San Antonio or Memphis is going to be tough. They're going to be tough. I think the Grizzlies, the Memphis Grizzlies, have the best opportunity out of anybody that's left to beat the Miami Heat. And it's kind of like the Final Four in a lot of ways. It was Louisville's final four to win. 
I mean, everybody was saying Louisville and everybody else. In the NBA playoffs, in a lot of ways, we've been saying the same things, especially after KD, Kevin, not Kevin Durant, especially after Westbrook went down. After Russell Westbrook went down, it's, you know, we, we've been saying at this point, it's the Heat's championship to lose. And it's going to come down possibly to health. And I said this before, I'll say it again, I'll repeat myself, and I've been repeating this throughout the course of this NBA season. If the Memphis Grizzlies can get to the San Antonio Spurs, if the Memphis Grizzlies can get by the San Antonio Spurs, which I think they can, and if they can get to the Miami Heat, they can be trouble for the Miami Heat. Trouble from this standpoint, their size. What's the Heat's weakness? Their front court. What's the Grizzlies' strength? Their front court. And with that being said, with that being said, and the, the, the ability that they have with Gasol and Randolph, and their two wing defenders. You're not stopping LeBron James. You're not stopping Dwayne Wade, especially if he's healthy. You're not. But, but, if, if Dwayne Wade, especially if Dwayne Wade is limited, that's going to say advantage Grizzlies. But again, Prince and Allen, they're not going to stop LeBron James if he's, they're not going to stop LeBron James. They're not. But, but what they can do is make it hard on him. What they can do is force him to work hard for his shots. That's what they can do. That's what they can do. They can make his life a little harder. They're not going to stop him. You're not stopping LeBron James. LeBron James is a player who stops himself. But you're not stopping LeBron James. You're not. You can limit him. You can make it hard on them, but you're not stopping them. And the Grizzlies did split the season series with the Miami Heat. They split the season series with Miami, beat them at home, beat them decisively at home, actually. Beat them by 18 points, and they lost to Miami um, by seven points in Miami. So, you know, the Grizzlies obviously are a team that split the season series with the Heat. This is a team that has the size to give the Heat problems. They have the size to give the Heat problems. They do. They have the size. Will it be enough? Will it be enough? It should be interesting. But, again, they have the Miami Heat. They have the uh, San Antonio Spurs to worry about. They have the San Antonio Spurs to worry about. So they have to handle that business. And, you know, you look at the last time these two teams played, the Grizzlies and the Heat. And, you know, I'm kind of skipping over the San Antonio Spurs for the Memphis Grizzlies. It's not really fair, but it is what it is because I think this team, the Memphis Grizzlies, has the best shot to beat the Miami Heat. But you look at it, the last time these two teams played, I mean, LeBron James struggled 4 for 14 in that particular ball game. You know, Prince and, and, and Tony Allen, two solid defenders, two guys that can give LeBron James trouble. I'm not saying stop LeBron James because they're not going to do it. Limit LeBron James, they can do that. Stop, no. Limit, yes. Make him work hard, yes. That's important. And then you go back to November, and obviously these two teams are a lot different because Rudy Gay, 
who was the leading scorer for the Grizzlies on that night's going. Traded him. But LeBron James, 10 for 19 from the field in that game. That was a game that the Grizzlies did win, but Marcus Gasol didn't really have one of his better games. And Zach Randolph had a good game. Marcus Gasol was actually 1 for 6 in that game. In 32 minutes, Zach Randolph was 8 for 16 in that game. Decent performance. Gasol did have 10 boards. Randolph did have 12 boards in that game. This would be an interesting. That would be that would be the matchup. I hope that happens. That that's what I hope happens, and and that would be a, a series that I, I really would look forward to. I really would look forward to that series, but we'll see if it happens. We'll see if the Grizzlies can get by the San Antonio Spurs. It's not going to be hard easy. It's not going to be easy. Actually, it's going to be hard. Spurs do have the home court advantage. And I think the Spurs know that a lot of people are picking the Grizzlies in this series. So they're going to be motivated. They're going to be motivated. They're going to be really, really motivated. And that should be interesting. That should be very interesting. I'm looking forward to A, the Grizzlies and Spurs, B, to the possibilities of a Grizzlies-Miami Heat series. That would be very, very interesting to me. We shall see what happens with that. Another thing that came out, and I'm going to switch gears now, go to the NFL, Donovan McNabb, Donovan McNabb is told, well, he, he came out and said, you know, he's going to retire as a Philadelphia Eagle. He's done. His career is over. And he's telling us something that we probably have known for a long time now. After the situation in Minnesota where he was bad. Well, Washington and Minnesota, both Washington and Minnesota, he was bad. After those two situations, you, you had a feeling that it was over for Donovan. And last year he, he you saw him on ESPN working out in water and, you know, trying to get himself in tip-top shape, trying to get himself in the best shape that he possibly could be in to get himself another shot. But no one came calling. No one came calling. And Donovan did what many thought he could have did last year, but he he announced his retirement. He's done. He's going to retire as a Philadelphia Eagle. And a lot of the talk has been in the Philadelphia area about whether or not Donovan should get his number retired. Should he have his number retired? And my thought on this is this, on on that situation is this. I look at Donovan McNabb. I, I look at a guy, you know, what's the marquee position in football? Quarterback. And I look at Donovan McNabb. He is the best quarterback in Philadelphia Eagles history. Hands down, the best quarterback in Philadelphia Eagles history. And, you know, I don't think there's really no debate about that. You could argue maybe that Randall Cunningham was the more talented quarterback, and that's probably the case. But in terms of numbers, in terms of accomplishments, in terms of wins and losses, Donovan McNabb is the best quarterback in Philadelphia Eagles history. You know, I, I don't think there's argument there. 
It's really not an argument. Five NFC title game appearances. Six Pro Bowls. Owns all passing records in Eagles history. I mean, that was a great run for Donovan McNabb. A great run. What, from 2000 to 2010, during his 11 years of Philly, eight times to the playoffs. So there was a lot of winning going on in Philadelphia during the Donovan McNabb years. A lot of winning going on during the era of Donovan McNabb in Philadelphia. This, in my mind, coupled with the numbers, coupled with the wins and losses, more so the wins, you have to say that Donovan McNabb, no argument here, is the best quarterback in Eagles history. Secondly, we all know how important the quarterback position is. It's a very important position. The quarterback gets all the credit when when the team does well, and the quarterback gets all the blame when the team does bad. But the reality is he is the best quarterback in your franchise's history. He's done everything but win a title. Five NFC East, NFC Championship appearances. NFC Championship appearances. Championship game appearances, I should say. That's five. Five of those to go with his number five. One Super Bowl appearance. The numbers, the wins and losses, 92 wins to only 49 losses. I mean... The guy has had a lot of success, a lot of success. 37,276 career yards, passing yards. I mean, this is a guy who did everything but win a championship. Done everything but win a championship. Just as many career passing yards as Jim Kelly, more career passing yards than Jim Kelly, only three touchdowns, Behind Jim Kelly, Jim Kelly 237, Donovan 234. I I look at Donovan, and he's a poor man's Jim Kelly in a lot of ways. From this standpoint, Jim Kelly, four Super Bowl appearances. But those four Super Bowl appearances netted him zero Super Bowl victories, zero Super Bowl championships, NFL championships. World championships. No chips for Jim Kelly. He got to the Super Bowl four times. Donald McNabb, well, he got to the MC title game five times. And got to the Super Bowl once. He's a poor man's Jim Kelly. He is a poor man's Jim Kelly. But again, this man, whether he's the poor man's Jim Kelly or the rich man's Jim Kelly, is the best quarterback in Philadelphia Eagles history. 92 victories as a starter. Only 49 losses and one tie, which he didn't think was possible because he didn't think there was ties in football. We all know, we all remember that. But anyway, this guy, in my mind, is deserving of number five being retired by the Eagles. The Eagles should retire number five. And as far as I'm concerned, Donovan McNabb has done exceedingly well. Donovan McNabb is the best quarterback in in the Philadelphia Eagles franchise history. He is the best quarterback 
in Eagles history. And it's going to be a while before we find the guy who will surpass him. It's going to be a while. He is the best quarterback in Eagles history, folks. The best quarterback in Eagles history. So, quarterback, most most important position in football. Eagles, a, a story franchise. Donovan McNabb, five NFC title games. Donovan McNabb, six Pro Bowls. Donovan McNabb, eight playoff appearances in 11 seasons with the Eagles. Donovan McNabb, 92 victories. Donovan McNabb, 234 touchdowns. Donovan McNabb, 17th in passing yards, all-time passing yards, 37,276. Better than the likes of a Jim Kelly or Steve Young, even a Troy Aikman but he can't compare to Troy Aikman because Troy Aikman has a bunch of rings. Bottom line is this. Best quarterback in your history, a guy who did a lot of winning for your franchise. As far as I'm concerned, Donovan McNabb, in my mind, should have his number retired by the Philadelphia Eagles. And you remember this? Say McNabb, everybody. Say McNabb, everybody. He is the guy. If the Eagles want to fly, everybody say McNabb. Remember that? You know, I tried to keep Donovan in Philadelphia. Funny thing is I unveiled that two days later. What? Day later, actually, he was traded. So, I mean, so maybe I should just throw that song away because it's not gonna, it may not help him in terms of getting that jersey retired. In terms of the Hall of Fame, you know, in terms of Donovan McNabb in the Hall of Fame, it's going to be interesting. The numbers, like I said, 17th in passing yards in NFL history, you know, 234 touchdowns, fifth in quarterback rushing yards. I mean, you definitely have to talk about his name. You definitely have to have the conversation. The conversation definitely has to be had. One of the better quarterbacks, in this game from 2000 to what? 2010. One of the better quarterbacks in this game. I mean, 97 in the playoffs. You get to the NFC title games five times. It's a lot of winning. You're doing a lot of winning. You're doing a lot of winning. And The problem is, you know, if he had the Super Bowl victory, which I thought he should have had against the New England Patriots that season, if he has that Super Bowl victory, this is not even a, a really a debate. It's just a matter of when. He probably wouldn't be first ballot, but it would just be a matter of when because he definitely would get into the Hall of Fame. Now, I guess you can, you know, you can have a discussion. I think a discussion can be had at this point. But, you know, it's going to be a debate. It's going to be a spirited debate because it's not set in stone. It's not, uh, you know, he's not a lot. You know, I, I looked at his career, and I was saying, when he left Philadelphia, I was my thought was, let's see what he does with Washington. Let's see what he does for the for the for his final act. Let's see what those final years look like. And if those final years were like Kurt Warner's final years, where he just revitalized his career in Arizona, Donovan definitely 
would be a surefire Hall of Famer. I think if we say Kurt Warner, and granted Kurt Warner does have a Super Bowl and has made two two Super Bowl appearances, but I, in terms of just longevity, in terms of accomplishments, I think if you look at this whole argument, if you're going to say Kurt Warner's a Hall of Famer, I think you have to say that Donovan McNabb is a Hall of Famer. If we're going to say Kurt Warner is a Hall of Famer, I think we have to say Donovan McNabb's a Hall of Famer. And granted, Kurt Warner has something that Donovan does not have. That is a Super Bowl ring. That's big. I can't dis- I can't dismiss that. I can't. I cannot dismiss that. For Kurt Warner, I mean, 208 touchdowns, 128 interceptions. Donovan is better. Kurt Warner, I mean, let's look at him. I mean, you look at that that run he had from to, uh, from 1999 to 2001, where he had 41 touchdowns in '99, where they won the Super Bowl, and he was absolutely utterly amazing. 21 touchdowns in 2000, had some struggles in 2000, and did have 18 interceptions in 2000. But 2001, 36 touchdowns, 22 interceptions, decent numbers, almost 5,000 yards passing back in 2001. But let's look at it after that. 2002, the numbers were small. Only only started six games in that year. Three touchdowns and 11 interceptions. 2003, only started one game. For the St. Louis Cardinals, again, not Cardinals, St. Louis Rams, not much better. Goes to the Giants in 2004, not great in 2004 for the Giants. Ultimately, he would lose his job to Eli Manning. And then he goes to 2005 with the Arizona Cardinals. Again, numbers, he was backing up Leonard at the time. Numbers, not that great. Ultimately, he would get the job in 2007, and he started putting up some numbers. 27 touchdowns, 3,400 yards passing, over 3,400 yards passing, over 4,500 yards passing in 2008. They get to the Super Bowl there, 30 touchdowns, 14 interceptions. In his final year in the league, 26 touchdowns, 14 interceptions. His final year in the league, still putting up decent numbers, and ultimately he will retire in that year, 2009. But again, 208 touchdowns, 128 interceptions. In my mind, in my mind, let's look at his comeback drives, game-winning drives. Nine fourth-quarter comebacks, 14 game-winning drives. Well, Donovan beats him there. Donovan McNabb beats him in that department. I believe Donovan's numbers was 18 fourth-quarter comebacks. So Donovan beats him there. Donovan beats him there. And I believe 25 game-winning drives for Donovan McNabb. I'm making the argument at this point, and, and before I wasn't, I was kind of on the fence here. But I think Donovan McNabb is a Hall of Famer, and this is a change for me because at one point I didn't think he was. But you know, getting a second look at these numbers and comparing him to some of the greats, Jim Kelly's, the Steve Youngs, and the Troy Aikmans, who he has more touchdowns in. I mean, you know, more passing yards than Jim Kelly, top twenty. Seven teams, to be exact, in all-time passing yards. 
I think we can make a legitimate argument for Donovan McNabb as a Hall of Famer. I think Kurt Warner's a Hall of Famer. And I'm going to say Donovan McNabb is a Hall of Famer. The numbers are just as impressive, if not more so. Collectively, they're more. The the playoff appearances, the NFC title games, impressive for McNabb. The only thing you look at McNabb, again, is, is whether or not it's the Super Bowls. He didn't win the Super Bowls. That's it. That's it. But as a starter with the Eagles, 92 and 49. Overall, he finished his career 98 and 62. 98 and 62. 98 and 62. Kurt Warner, conversely, finished his career 67 and 49. McNabb beats him there. Kurt Warner, I believe, has a better winning percentage. Well, no, McNabb has a better winning percentage. McNabb has the better winning percentage to Kurt Warner. I think Donovan McNabb is a Hall of Famer. And, and again, this is clearly different than what I've thought before. But if we're and, and Kurt Warner has the Super Bowl ring, and and then overall two Super Bowl appearances. But Donovan McNabb, Donovan McNabb, sixty plus percent, sixty plus regular season winning percentage. Donovan McNabb, you got to say. And granted, he has had his issues in the playoffs, more so in NFC title games. But I really do, I really do believe at this point, after looking at the facts looking at the numbers, making some comparisons, including to Kurt Warner, who a guy I believe is going to be a a Hall of Famer, I am compelled to believe at this point that when it's all said and done, it won't be first ballot. But I think there is a place in Canton, Ohio, for Donovan McNabb. I believe there, there is a place in Canton, Ohio, for Donovan McNabb. First ballot? No. Not first ballot. But he'll get there. I really do believe that. Donovan McNabb, after looking at the numbers, making some comparisons, Donovan McNabb, in my opinion, just my opinion, I don't have a Hall of Fame vote, so my opinion in a lot of ways is irrelevant, but it is my opinion, and this is America. Donovan McNabb is a Hall of Famer, in my opinion. But we shall see. Switching gears now to a guy that's been in the news for all the wrong reasons. Former Lions wide receiver, Titus Young. I mean, the guy has had some issues. Rested May 5th for suspicion of driving under the influence, arrested again in the same day. Same day. 
for trying to take his car away from a tow yard. So arrested two times in one day. That's losing. That's just bad. That's just inexcusable. That's just unacceptable. That's just reckless. That's just ridiculous. Asinine. Dumb. Stupid. And then, and then, and obviously he has some issues. Dad says he's having some issues, some emotional issues. Obviously he has some issues. May 12th, arrested for the third time in what? Seven days. The third time in seven days. For allegedly breaking into a, a home. And I was reading where the neighbor said, you know what? Titus Young is fortunate enough, fortunate enough that I didn't shoot him because the neighbor was saying that he had his gun ready to shoot Titus Young. So I was very fortunate that Titus Young did not get shot there. And now it's only getting worse for him. It's only getting worse. His son's mother, his baby mamas, has filed a restraining order against him. And that is because she believes that Titus Young may do something to her. The threat of domestic violence is the reason. That's what she's citing, the threat of domestic violence. Titus Young has to get himself in order. Titus Young is in trouble. He needs help. And, you know, I'm, I'm you know, some respect, kind of making fun of him, making light of the situation, but this is a serious story. This is a guy who, who's in trouble. This is a guy who is in trouble. He's in trouble. He really is in trouble. And, and that's the kind of the bottom line of it. He is in trouble. And here are some of the details from the restraining order um, that uh, Sports Illustrated had obtained from the press enterprise. And, quote, he would say things, and this is what his girlfriend is saying that Teddy Sung would say to her. He would say things like, I understand why O.J. killed his wife. We were, going, we were always going to be a family, and I'm always going to be his, the restraining order states. He also says, the restraining order also says, he got mad and yelled at my neighbors and tried to fight multiple people that he doesn't even know. The restraining order goes on to say that Titus Young Sr., he does have a son, Titus Young Jr., has been clinically diagnosed with a mental disorder. I am afraid of what he is capable of doing. He, is also, he also has been in mental health facilities more than once and still believes that he does not have a problem. His father believes that the psychological disorder comes from a concussion back in 2011. Who knows? But we all know this, and here's the bottom line. Titus Young, you need to get help, and you need to get help quickly and fast. You need a bed. This is self-destructive behavior. This is self-destructive behavior. And... The, the longer this continues without help, I mean, this guy's not going to make it. If he continues down his path, this path, and fortunately enough for him, he didn't get shot. 
by the guys by the guy whose house he broke into. Fortunately for him, he didn't get shot. Because you start breaking into people's homes, and they got guns, they're going to shoot you, and they're justified in doing so. You feel sorry for this guy. You want him to get help. You hope that he seeks help. It's not. A, I mean, again, I'm making light of it in, in some respect, but the reality is this is serious stuff here. This is a guy who needs help. Arrested twice in one day? Who does that? You got problems when you get arrested twice in one day. You have problems. And Titus Young has problems. And hopefully Titus Young will seek help for his problems. Hopefully. We shall see. The second hour of Go For It starts right now. In this hour, we're expected to be joined by Rockets forward Greg Smith. Rockets, who won out in the first round against the OKC Thunder, fought hard, fought very hard in that series. Was It did help that Westbrook did go out. That helped. But the reality is the Rockets did give – were down 3-0 and fought their way back into that series. They didn't have enough, but they fought their way back into that series. We're going to talk to Greg about that series. Talk to Greg also about what's going on in the NBA now in terms of the remaining series. and Talk to him about how different OKC really was without Russell Westbrook. They were totally a total different team without Russell Westbrook, and that's expected because Russell Westbrook is... Russell Westbrook, we all know what he is. But Kevin Durant, you know, he had his struggles in that last game. Had his struggles in that last game. And, you know, the reality is, the reality is is this. You look at Kevin Durant. You look at Russell Westbrook, and you look at the Oklahoma City Thunder. This team was built with those two guys playing. This team was built with those two guys being on the court. And you make the trade and trading James Harden with the thought that these two would be on the court throughout the course of this playoff. Westbrook, I mean, this guy doesn't get injured. I mean, he doesn't miss time. Hasn't missed time ever. I mean, this guy was a rock in terms of health. If, if you're expecting anybody to get hurt, it would not be Russell Westbrook. You didn't expect him to get hurt. This guy is the pillar of health. This guy is the pillar of health. He doesn't get hurt. He doesn't usually does not get hurt. 82 in 2009, 82, well, 82, every game, I mean, he's played 82 games other than the strike-shortened season, 
He hasn't missed a game. This guy has not missed a game until now. He has not missed a game until now. So, you know, it, it was you know it was a a bet that you know this, who expected who expected Westbrook to miss the playoffs. Who expected that? Who expected that? No one expected that. No one. No one. No one expected that. But the thing about it is this, and and I talked about this uh, last week when I talked about OKC. I talked about this last week. There are no guarantees in life. No guarantees in life. And we we and and I'll point to Steven Strasburg and the Washington Nationals where they decided to shut him down. Bad decision. Because you never know the op- you never know if you'll get another opportunity at making the playoffs. There's no guarantees in life. OKC, as far as I'm concerned, were Harden, Durant and and Westbrook and Ibaka were were championship caliber team with Westbrook and Durant they had a good shot at winning a title but as far as I'm concerned I believe if you're close to something if you're so close to something you don't think about the future you think about the then and the now and the then and the now as far as I'm concerned was OKC and their the possibilities of them winning a title you don't get many chances to win titles in the NBA, in sports, period. There is no guarantee that you'll be able to get to that mountaintop again. No guarantees. None. James Harden, if the if OKC had James Harden right now, even without Westbrook, I think they'd still be playing. I think they'd still be playing. I really do. I think they still would be playing right now. But the thing about it is, after Westbrook went down, you knew it was a wrap. And it was a wrap. It was a wrap for OKC. It was a wrap. A series against, you know, I thought they would beat Houston, but I didn't think they could beat the Grizzlies. And they did. But it really was a wrap in terms of them getting to the NBA Finals, in terms of them winning an NBA title. It was done. Done deal. And where everybody's getting on Kevin Durant, and he didn't play well, obviously. Did not play well in that final game against the Memphis Grizzlies. Did not play well at all. Did not play well. But I, I don't think it changes my perception of Kevin Durant at all. But I do think, you know, if – you know, if this was LeBron James who played that way, who who stunk to join up in a game five, an elimination game, we would be killing him. We would be killing LeBron James. And we're, we're going after Kevin Durant, but not the way we would go after LeBron James if LeBron James came up that small. But, you know, the Grizzlies in a lot of – I mean, not the Grizzlies, uh, OKC in a lot of ways, they had to change their whole philosophy on the fly. Very difficult to do in the playoffs. I mean, they didn't have some regular season games to, to kind of iron this thing out and 
figure out the best way to play. They had to do this thing on the fly. Had to do it on the fly. And as it turns out, it wasn't so successful. And the thing about it is it wasn't going to be successful. I'm reading some things, people saying, oh, you know, let's kill Kevin Durant. We're, we're, let's, you know, Kevin Durant is not the guy that we thought he was. He's not as clutch as we thought he was. I, I don't think it changes anything as far as I'm concerned. You need talent. I mean, you need talent. Michael had Scotty. You know, Kobe had Shaq. Parker had Duncan. Duncan had Parker and Ginobili. You need talent. You need guys around you. You need it. You need it. You need it. So, you know, killing Kevin Durant as far as I'm concerned, I'm not going to do it. He did come up small. But, you know, they had to switch their whole philosophy on the fly. It wasn't a simple transition they made. To, it wasn't simple. Again, he came up small. I, I can't defend that part. I'm not going to defend that part. He came up small in game six, game five, with, when his team needed him the most. You know, he, he had that jump shot to tie the game, and he missed it. He missed it. But I, I, I just, uh, again... I'm not going to kill Kevin Durant. I'm not going to kill him. Because, again, he did this on the fly. They changed philosophies on the fly. This is not the team they went in. They they didn't start the regular season with this team. They had to change philosophies on the fly. Kevin Durant, I mean, you know, the, the Grizzlies are the better, were the better team. Are and were the better team with Russell Westbrook out. With Westbrook there, I have to say the Thunder are a better team. But he wasn't there. He was not going to be there. And you know, obviously, this is a this is a lost season as far as I'm concerned. I believe this is a lost season for OKC. Your goal at this point, with the level that you're on right now, is championship or bust. Kevin Durant doesn't believe this was a wasted year. I disagree. I think it was. I think it was. And this is Kevin Durant's quote. Of course, the ultimate goal in this league is to win a championship. But I'm never going to say I wasted a year. I'm blessed to even wake up and do something I love every day. So it's never wasted. I'm going to be who I'm going to be. I'm not Kobe Bryant. I'm not Michael Jordan. I'm not LeBron James. I'm not Magic Johnson. I'm me. I'm not going to ever compromise myself, my integrity, and what I believe in for winning some basketball games and winning a championship. That's just not how I was brought up. I get that, and and obviously, you know, just, you know, it kind of went off on a little tangent there and, and talked about things that were kind of irrelevant. Reality is, it's this. I do believe it was a wasted uh, season. I do believe it was a wasted season. I mean, I I think when when your objective is to win NBA title and you go out in the second round, this was a waste. That's a wasted season as far as I'm concerned. Didn't have to be this way. You would have kept James Harden. 
probably wouldn't be this way. Injuries happen. Stuff happens. Can't predict life. Can't predict life sometimes. You can only predict it to a point. You can only predict it to a point, and that's it. You can only predict it to a point. No one would have ever predicted that Westbrook would have went down and been out for the playoffs. No one. But stuff happens. The unpredictable happens. Life happens. No one expected it, but it happened. And the thing about it is, that's why when you drive a car, you have insurance. Because the unexpected can happen on that road. Not everybody is a good driver. And the reality is, you're going to make mistakes on the road. You're not perfect. You're not perfect. That's why you have insurance. To pay when you make a mistake. And OKC, as far as I'm concerned, their insurance was James Harden. The moment that you traded your insurance, the moment you traded your insurance for cheaper insurance and Kevin Martin, Jeremy Land and a couple draft picks, the moment that you get cheaper insurance and you don't have the coverage necessary, when your guy goes, guy goes down, that's a fail. That's a fail as far as I'm concerned. That is a fail. That's a fail. You failed. You failed. And again, I understand you can't pay everybody. I understand you don't want to pay luck for your tax, which can be very, very expensive. I get all that. I do. I truly do. I get all that. But who knows? Maybe you go through this year, you win a championship, and maybe James Harden says to himself, you know what? Maybe he says to himself, look, maybe he says to himself, you know what? I like this situation. I like the idea of being a part of a winning situation. I like the idea of possibly winning championships for a very, very long time. I like that idea. Maybe he says that at year's end, and maybe he signs for $53 million. Some would say he'd be a complete fool because that's $30 million left on the table. But maybe, maybe. You would have maybe you sold him enough where you know what he says to himself, you know what, money is money, but happiness trumps money. And I could be happy in OKC because I could be winning championships year in and year out. Year in and year out. I could be winning championships. I could be winning sixty games. Year in and year out. Year in and year out, I can win sixty games. I could go down with Durant and Westbrook and Ibaka and everybody else. I could be legendary. I could be legendary in terms of winning championships. Do we see James Harden win the championship? Who's going to win a championship first, Harden or Durant and Westbrook? Probably Durant and Westbrook. Probably. Probably. 
probably Durant and Westbrook. So, so maybe you could have sold James Harden. Maybe you could have went through this season. You know, an opportunity again. James Harden's home now. He's home now. So is OKC as well. But if James Harden was with Durant, OKC would still be playing right now. Because we saw what James Harden is all about. We saw that. And we're going to talk to a teammate of James Harden in a moment. Greg Smith will be joining us after the break. You're listening to Go For It on Block Talk Radio. Almeida, a.k.a. Corey Live, host of Picturica on the Hub and warm-up host for American Idol and Dancing with the Stars. And right now, you are listening to Go For It on Blog Talk Radio with my man Paulie G and Jeremy. Get it! Thank you, sir. And we're back. We're back. And we're going to bring in now a guy who was a part of the Rockets team that got to the playoffs, lost in six games to OKC, but, you know, give the Rockets a lot of credit. This team showed a lot of heart after being down 3-0 against OKC, was able to force a six-game, and that doesn't happen a lot. So give the Rockets a lot of credit, and the guy who was a part of that, let's bring him in now forward for the Houston Rockets, Greg Smith. Greg, how are you, man? I'm doing very fine. How are you guys? Doing well. Thanks for joining us. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me. And, Greg, let's go to that series against Oklahoma City. You guys were down 3-0. Ultimately, you were able to make it 3-2. Being down 3-0, you guys kept fighting and kept fighting. Talk well, about the mindset of your team after going down 3-0. The mindset of the team was, you know, last, our last game of the season, so go out there, leave everything on the court, play hard, you know, uh, do the game plan, you know, try to force Kevin Durant to pass the ball to our teammates, make them uh, step up, and, um, I think right there, and we fought hard. We brought the, we brought the, you know, the game to them. And we being physical. We uh, made them run. We played hard. So it was, it was a tough one, but I think um, it helped us out learn a lot about our team more in the playoffs. So we got two more games to win. Definitely. And you look at that series, and Russell Westbrook went down. When he went down, obviously the Thunder became a much more vulnerable team. You look at this series on some level as a missed opportunity. Um, no, look at that. I mean, you know, we 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 could have stole it, and we could you know went to the next round. But you know, Thunder has a good team. They have a great coaching staff. So, and they had three zero lead. So they had you know their back was the wall. But you know, it's much it's much it's much harder to win that one game. So when they, when they was playing, you could tell that you know it was so, uh, it was so they was kind of like you know how are we gonna get this last game? How are we gonna win it? You know, these guys are playing hard, bringing it to us. You know, playing tough, being physical. And I think that, you know, we had a chance to do a wrestle out, but, you know, the last the last game at home, uh, you know, all every all the guys stepped up, you know, Reggie Jackson stepped up, you know, Derek Fisher a couple of shots. You know, so it was kinda of, it was kind of tough for us and they and they played real good. Now you look at OKC now, compare this team with West Westbrook and this team without Westbrook. How much different 
is OKC without Westbrook? Without Westbrook, OKC Thunder are, are a very good team. You know, they had an electric uh, player that, you know, Westbrook brings to the game, but they're still good. You know, I think that the coach staff has, has a, you know, built their player around Kevin Durant trying to get him on the post, you know, and the ISOs, and I think certain players step up. You know, I just believe that they were one of the best in the league, but if you add on a player like Westbrook, it's going to make them even better. Definitely, definitely. We're talking to Greg Smith forward for the Houston Rock. And, Greg, you guys are a young team, and obviously you'd rather be playing than sitting here talking to me. But what do you guys take from that playoff experience moving forward? Oh, man, we're a young team. We've got a bunch of young guys, a lot of rookies, a lot of first, second-year players. So, look at the experience in the playoffs, you know, you know, get down in the belt to go out there next season and be prepared for the season and, and uh, you know, shock uh, the league. I think we could do a lot. We can advance in the playoffs. You know, we got a great player, James Harden. We got Chandler Parkers going to play our coaches staff is, you know, being more – as a team, everything's going to be good because we're so young and, and the whole year just went so well for us. And we learned so much about each other and the chemistry is growing every day we're together. And that's the good thing about us. And I believe that next year's going to be a very good year for us. You guys are young and you got some cap space as well. And James Harden said he's going to go yeah. out and start campaigning for the guys to come to Houston. So the possibilities, man, are, are endless in Houston right now. Yeah, they really are. You know, I think a lot and, of people out there, free agents, that they, they look at Houston as one of the main targets to come to because it's a great city, great fan base, and, and it offers a lot. Now, we, we look at the level of intensity in a playoff game. It's turned up, and this is different for you. Talk about the difference in playing a regular season NBA game in comparison to a playoff NBA game. A playoff game is more intense because, you know, you got sold-out crowds, you know, every game counts, every game's on the line. You got to go out there more focus more, you know, um, more scouting report. You got to go out there and be focused, ready to play, bring everything, leave it on the court. And it, it's just great to play in that environment. It's got to be a lot of fun, man. Is that yes, the most fun you had as an NBA player, as a basketball player, yes. period? As a basketball player, is the most I've ever had in my life because I was going to college, I didn't even play in the NCAA tournament, so that playoff atmosphere was just like playing, you know, playing the big crowd, you know, every game counts. And, and, you know, the, the same goes. It no matter what the regular season, how you play the postseason. And, and that's one thing I want to look forward to about my career, playing the postseason a lot of time so I'll be able to showcase my skills and compete with my team to win a championship. We're talking to Rockets forward Greg Smith. And, Greg, you had some good moments in the 2012-2013 NBA season. Your breakout game was against the Lakers, your hometown team, the Los Angeles Lakers. There you dropped a career-high 21 points. How big of a moment was that for you? A very big moment playing against the uh, uh, Lakers, you know, California team. That's where I'm from, so I grew up watching them. I just go out there and play against Kobe Bryant, one of the best players ever in the league history. They play against the best men in the league, Dwight Howard. Went out there and just showcased my skills, played hard. Coach told me, don't worry about anything, don't think, just go out there and play hard you can. And everything was show. And at the end of the game, you know, I had a good game with my team, and we got the win. And you did, and, and you stepped on the scene, and everybody knew who Greg Smith was after that game. Yeah, that is true. I mean, I don't know that game was a lot of scouting for me, so a lot of people thought what I do. But as the season went on, that's how I grew into a player that I am and know how to, you know, work on certain things to keep, keep you know, doing what I can do, how my team succeeds. Now, Greg, you have the luxury of being coached by Kevin McHale. We all know Kevin, Kevin McHale, one of the best power forwards in NBA history. Talk about what you have learned from Kevin McHale. I learned a lot. I learned that he teaches us, you know, to go out there and, and bring the physicality to the bigs and to finish with both hands. 
they should just be accountable for everything. He, he teaches so much things. He gives us responsibilities, and he wants you to show for it. And I especially with the coaches that he, he every day at the practice, we work out, we go one on one. There, he teaches us how to you know use this move, a shoulder here, use a counter, and that helps out a lot. I just love being coached by that guy. He still got moves in the post. Yeah, I mean, you know, Coach McHale, he, he had it for a long time, so I know he ain't lose it. You know, he got it. <laughs> now, Greg, going into the off season now. What part of, the, of your game do you need do you need to work on to go to that next level? Uh, just you know, adding a counter move to, to my post and you know, getting my endurance up, you know, getting quicker off my feet, and just being more explosive. I think I can improve in a lot of areas, free throws, you know, adding a mid range jumper, you know, ten to twelve feet, you know, all that. So I believe I, I can improve in a lot of things. But my number one thing is going to be to add a counter move and basically get my endurance up because everything else is going to show for it as I put the work in this whole summer. Now, Greg, the playoffs are going on right now. Uh, you got the Grizzlies and Spurs in the Western Conference Finals. Put on your analyst hat now. How do you see that series playing out? I got the Grizzlies take that in the six. I just think the Grizzlies is a physical team that plays together, well coached. All the guys know their roles. Mike Conley is a great point guard. He's going to run the team, low turnovers. He's not going to do too much with the ball. He's going to get it to players that need it. You got, you know, you got Zach Randolph, Marcus Saul, two of the best bigs in the league and best together. They both can pass so well. Zach Randolph will bully you. I just like that. They have a great team, you know, all around, bench-wise, too. The Spurs is a great team also. You know, they have Tim Duncan, Tony Parker. You can never count them guys out. But I just think that the Miz Grizzlies have that advantage with the, the toughness and the physical they're going to bring throughout the whole series. Like, every game is going to bring it. Definitely, definitely. And a guy that you call your big brother, Pacers forward, Paul George, his team is still going right now against the New York Knicks, and Paul George has had a tremendous season. I mean, he his versatility is off the charts. How impressed have you been with the play of Paul George? Man, that's crazy going to watch Paul grow as a player because I always knew he had it, and now he's actually showing it in the playoffs and showing it to everybody. I knew he had it, so it's just crazy to see that right now. But I believe that he has guys the limits for his talents going on and off the court as a player and as a person. And I believe he is one of the first top players in the league because he could guard 20 positions. I remember playing him back in college one-on-one. He can he actually – I mean, I can say he's me, but he can actually guard me a little bit. <laughs> but it's just, it's, it's just great to see him right now do his thing in the playoffs, and I believe that he earned his respect around the league as a star in this league. Now, can the pace, will the Pacers beat the Knicks uh, tomorrow? You know, it's tough. You know, I'm, I'm gonna say this. I'm gonna say this. This is this is my this is my creed on this. They will beat. They will beat the Knicks as long as they keep Jefferson from, from from getting back hot. They can do that. They can beat the, the Knicks and head on to the to the next round. But if Jr. sets the game up, I, I think it could go to seven. I'm not. I, I truly believe that. And I, I was thinking, saying the same thing. Obviously, J.R. Smith is the type of guy, so streaky. So he can go yeah. 0 for 10, but he also can go 10 for 10. He's that type of guy. Yeah, yeah. I, I look at Melo, man. I think Melo is going to be the key. I think Melo is going to have to have that LeBron James type, mm-hmm. game six type performance that LeBron James yeah, had is. against the Celtics. Boston, I, yeah. I think mm-hmm. he's got yeah, to have that to. type of performance. Has to. He has to. He has to. He has a jumper going. He has his go-to. He has, he has to bring it. I mean, that guy comes out and gives you 30-something, you have a great chance of winning. So it, it relies on him a lot. Now, I think he, I think he's going to do it because that's the player Melo is. He likes the pressure, and he's going to score. He loves that competition. So I believe he's going to show up tomorrow. Who, who's going to win it all? Is it the Heat? I know heat, the Heat are the favorite. Are they going to win it all when it's all said and done, in your opinion? 
I, I believe they can because the coaching staff is wonderful. You have LeBron James, but obviously to me, the best player in the world. And their team plays so well around him. And he got guys like Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh. They got guys on the best stepping up. Even the bird may came. You see how good he's playing with the team. It's, just, it's hard to beat them right now because they're so versatile. In your opinion, I think the Grizzlies have the best shot to beat the Heat out of the remaining teams. But in your opinion, yes. who has the best shot to beat the Miami Heat? The best I would say the best team right now it would be Memphis Grizzlies too because of the physicality they bring to the table and the versatile they have defenders and guard LeBron and Dwayne Wade that can you know bring pressure to them and they have bigs on there that can score in the Heat. So I think that's one thing like a scary Heat probably couldn't beat them in seven games, but you know if it was a shorter series like five, I would give it to them. But I don't think they could beat them in seven. We're talking to Rockets forward Greg Smith and Greg, you started the year in the D League. You ended up playing some meaningful minutes in the playoffs. How surreal has this year been for you? It's been crazy. Just being able to play all these games I play, even come on and get a couple starts and contribute with my team and all that. It's been wonderful. I am so appreciative this year and the coaches that stuck with me and helped me get through uh, the ups and downs and learn more about myself as a player and gain so much respect from my teammates and other teammates around the league. It's been a great year for me. And, and has this year made you a better person? I mean, because, you know, you really had to fight to get into the NBA. Yeah, it made me more person, even grow as learning responsibility myself, being accountable for everything I do, and just growing as a player on the court and off the court, being more better father for my kids, learn how to be a you know grown man and take care of everything. So I just appreciate this whole year, basketball and off the court, even hanging on the coaches and teaching me a lot of stuff. So I just I just thank my team and organization for giving me this shot. Now, Greg, you are on Twitter. Where can fans connect with you on Twitter? At uh, Jew underscore Smith four. They connect there and they go holler at me and you know I'm not I'm not one of the guys that don't hit fans back. I hit my fans back. Anybody that hit me on there, I, I try to reply as quick as I can. Greg, pleasure talking to you, man. Wish you nothing but the best of luck moving forward. Let's do this again. Okay, fine with me. Take care. Thank you. Greg Smith, forward for the Houston Rockets and. It made some great points, definitely made some great points. And, you know, he's a guy that, you know, that came against the Lakers. That was his, his coming out party. That was his coming out party. He had his career high, 21 points. And a lot of people started to recognize and know who Greg Smith was after that particular game. But a great season for him, great season for the Rockets. I mean, James Harden came in there, changed the culture in Houston. This team, you know, it was a playoff team, and James Harden was one of the reasons. And Greg Smith had some had some say about that as well. Pleasure talking to Greg Smith. We wish him nothing but the best of luck moving forward. And, you know, he believes J.R. Smith is the key tomorrow for the New York Knicks. And, and I I don't disagree because, you know, it's funny. It's it's kind of like this. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like the I made some comparisons last week about Kevin Martin. And, you know, Kevin Durant, obviously, he was going to put up his numbers for OKC, other than that final game where he stunk to join up there. But other than that, you knew Kevin Durant was going to put up his numbers. You knew he was going to put up his numbers. You knew it. The key was who else was going to step up. And as I talked about last week, I talked about this last week. Last week, I talked about it. OKC needed Kevin Martin to step up. The times that he stepped up was the times that Oklahoma City had their most success, not only in this series against the Memphis Grizzlies, but in the playoffs, period. 
in the playoffs, period. The times he stepped up was the times that Oklahoma City had their most success. I'll do it to you again. I did it before. I did it last week. I'll do it to you again. Let's look at game one against the Memphis Grizzlies. Kevin Martin, 8 for 14, 3 for 5 from downtown, 25 points. 25 points in that game. Who won that game? The Oklahoma City Thunder. They won that game. Let's go through the exercise. Game two. Game two. Kevin Durant puts up his numbers. Kevin Durant, 11 for 21, 36 points. Kevin Martin, 2 for 11, 6 points. Who won that game? The Memphis Grizzlies. Let's go to game number three. Kevin Durant, 25 points, 9 for 19 from the field, not awful. 11 rebounds, 5 assists. Kevin Martin, played a little better, didn't shoot too well, 6 for 17 for 13 points. Who won that game? The Memphis Grizzlies. You know why? Because Kevin Martin needed to be that 20-point scorer that he was when he was in Houston. Kevin Durant, game four, 10 for 27. Got to shoot better than that. 27 points. Kevin Martin, 6 for 12. Played better. 18 points. Durant, 10 for 27. That's tough, missing 17 shots. Martin stepped up his play in that game. And that game went into overtime in Memphis. But ultimately, who won that game? The Grizzlies. You get my point? You get my point. As Kevin Martin goes, so do the Oklahoma City Thunder. As Martin goes, so do the Thunder. The Thunder go as Kevin Martin goes. Bottom line. Bottom line. And I can give you some examples of when they actually won games in the Rocket Series where Kevin Martin stepped up his play, where Kevin Martin played well. And because he played well, Oklahoma City was able to win. Kevin Martin comes to the, when Kevin Martin does what he has to do. When Kevin Martin plays the way he knows how to play, when he shoots the rock the way he can shoot the rock, Oklahoma City had success. Let's look at the closeout game against the Rockets. Game six. Kevin Durant, eleven for twenty-three, twenty-seven points. Kevin Martin, seven for thirteen, three for five from downtown, twenty-five points. Who won that game? The Oklahoma City Thunder. Do you get my point? I think you get my point. I think you can get I think you get my point. I can keep going. I can keep going. You get my point. You get my point. The point is as Kevin Martin goes, so did the Grizz so did the Oklahoma City Thunder. And in comparison J.R. Smith, if he, he has to step up his play if 
the Knicks want to move on. He has to step up his play. Bottom line, he has to. Can he do it? He's capable. Sixth man of the year. Won a sixth man of the year award. Questionable, obviously. But he won it. He's capable. He's capable. But we haven't seen the J.R. Smith that we saw against Boston in this series. But if the Knicks want to move on, they're not going to need J.R. Smith to be J.R. Smith. But I think, I think, you look at it, I think Melo's going to be the key. I think, I expect Melo to step up. We shall see. Going back to the NFL, going back to the NFL, David Garrard having some knee issues. David Garrard is basically retiring. He's basically retiring. And you know what that says? Guess what? Guess what? Mark Sanchez, and obviously Mark Sanchez had a shot at winning this job, and it was going to be an open quarterback competition, but, you know, things look good for Mark Sanchez now. Things look good for him. You know, he he said he was done. Garrard said he was done. Never got his knee, never got back to the way it was. Never could get his knee right. And because of it, he decided to call it quits. It was just bottom line to him. It just came down to health. But again, this looks good. This is good for Mark Sanchez in terms of his chances of winning the job. It's going to come down to him and Geno Smith. Will Geno Smith or will Mark Sanchez continue on as a starter? Will Sanchez continue on as a starter? Or will Geno Smith, will Geno Smith win the job? That's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. You look at it, obviously, obviously, Geno Smith, you brought him in. With the pot, with the reason you brought him in to be your quarterback of the future, maybe your quarterback of now, you brought him in with that thought, and obviously the the, the time that you got Geno Smith in the second round, that's a good, great, 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 great pick. No matter what we say about some of the the things in terms of his attitude and some of the things he did, that is a great pick. That's a great pick. But, but. With David Garrard now, Geno Smith is a rookie. When David Garrard now retired, because you thought he had an inside shot at that job, with him, with, with Garrard now retired, you have to say that things are looking up for Mark Sanchez. He will get another opportunity, it looks like. He will get another opportunity. Is he deserving of one? Probably not. Has he played like a starting NFL quarterback? No, he has not. He has stumped to join up, to be honest with you, to be frank. He has stumped the join up, to keep it real, keep it 100, as they like to say, in the streets. Will he get another opportunity? He's got another opportunity. This is it, at least with the New York Jets. After this, his cap number is manageable. If he stinks up the joint after this season, he's gone. And his coach, Rex Ryan, is probably gone because the Jets – Theoretically, won't have a good season. So he's going to be gone. 
he's going to be gone. So this is a final opportunity for Mark Sanchez. One last shot, at least in the Jets uniform. One last shot. He's got to make the most of it. He's got to make the most of it. Worked out with Jeff Garcia in the offseason. We're sporting the headband now. Maybe the headband will bring him some magic. But he's got to step up his play. He's got to. If he wants to keep his job with the New York Jets, he's got to be better. The turnovers have to stop. The butt fumbles have to stop. Those things have to stop if he wants to be a starter in this league with the New York Jets. Those things have to stop. Got to stop. But we'll see. If Geno Smith can come out and be successful, you wonder if he'll get the job. I mean, we've seen now in the NBA, NFL, in the NFL, excuse me, can't even talk. In the NFL now, we've seen it, where guys have stepped on the scene, RG3, Russell Wilson, Cam Newton, have stepped on the scene have been and have been successful. They came right off the shoot, right out of the right out of the college. Right out of college and have been successful. Wow. They've been successful. And can Geno Smith do the same? I think he's gonna obviously he's gonna get an he's gonna get an opportunity to do so. Offensive coordinator Marty Morningwake said, you know what? This is going to be a bona fide quarterback competition. Let the competition begin. Sanchez, Geno Smith. We shall see who gets the job when it's all said and done. Phil Jackson is in the news. He has a book out. He's preparing a book. And he's taught, he, he made some comparisons between Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. Here's some comparisons right here. Quote, one of the biggest differences between the two stars, from my perspective, was Michael's superior skills as a leader. Though at times he could be hard on his teammates, Michael was masterful at controlling the emotional climate of the team with the power of his presence. Kobe had a long way to go before he could make that claim. He talked a good game, but yet, but he yet to experience the cold truth of leadership in his bones, as Michael had. In his bones. So he felt Michael Jordan was the tougher of the two. Michael Jordan was the tougher of the two. Now, you talk about some more comparisons. He talked about uh, Michael Jordan as a defender. Phil Jackson said Michael was the tougher, more intimidating defender. He could break through virtually any screen and shut down almost any player with his intense, laser-focused style of defense. Talking about Kobe on defense. In general, Kobe tends to rely more heavily on his flexibility and craftiness, but he takes a lot of gambles on defense and sometimes pays the price. Comparing the two on offense, Jordan was also more naturally inclined to let the game come to him and not overplay his hand whereas Kobe tends to force the action, especially when the game isn't going his way. When his shot is off, Kobe will pound away relentlessly until his luck turns. Michael, on the other hand, would shift his attention to defense or passing or setting setting screens 
to help the team win the game. So those those are some comparisons between Jordan and Kobe. Is there really a comparison? Is there really a comparison between the two? I guess, you know, Kobe, five rings. Kobe, one of the more dominant players of this era. But he is no Michael Jordan. He is no Michael Jordan. LeBron James, on the other hand, well, he's different than Michael Jordan. He's doing things that Jordan never could do. LeBron James, on the other hand, maybe you could start talking about in terms of being better than Michael Jordan when it's all said and done. If he continues at this pace for MVPs, if he continues at this pace, sky's the limit in terms of LeBron James. Some other interesting tidbits in this book. You know, Jackson talked about Jackson. You know, he won a whole bunch of titles, 11 to be exact. But he was saying his most satisfying title was his final title, the 2010 NBA Finals. And the victory against the Boston Celtics in Game 7, he says that was one of his more satisfying moments of his career. Talked about Jordan and when Jordan made a return in 1995. And, you know, Jordan just showed up to his office. And, you know, Jackson said, well, I think we got a uniform here that might fit you. You know, so Kobe Bryant did respond to Phil Jackson, did respond to what was going to be said in his book. He says the comparisons are apples to oranges. Wonder what the perception would be if, I played with Shaq instead of different roles. Wonder what the perception would be if M, excuse me, I said that tweet all wrong. Wonder what the perception would be if M played with Shaq instead of different roles, different career paths. So how different would Jordan's career be if he played with Shaq? How different would it would how different would it be? I don't know. I don't know. And another interesting tidbit. We all remember where Kobe had sexual assault charges levied against him back in 2003. Um, Phil Jackson said, you know what? That clouded his outlook on Kobe Bryant. That made him look at Kobe Bryant differently, mainly because Jackson's daughter had been sexually assaulted by an athlete in college. Ironically enough. So, you know, he looked at Kobe differently. And, quote, the Kobe incident triggered all my unprocessed anger and tainted my perception of him. It distorted my view of Kobe throughout the 2003-2004 season. No matter what I did to extinguish it, the anger kept smoldering in the background. That's interesting. That's very, very interesting. You know, he couldn't suppress it. And, you know, I pray every day that, that that my daughter does not get sexually assaulted. But if that were to happen, I mean, I could imagine what Phil Jackson went through, and I could imagine how he would feel towards Kobe Bryant, especially if he felt or believed that Kobe Bryant did it. 
You know, so you you can definitely understand as a father, I can definitely truly understand how Phil Jackson would feel that way. I can definitely understand that. You can definitely understand and relate to his feelings at the time. If you're as a parent, you definitely can. And, you know, as a parent of a daughter, I can understand where Phil Jackson is coming from with that. I truly can. But this should be an interesting book titled 11 Rings, The Soul of Success. And, you know, it should be very interesting. should be very, very interesting, an interesting read. And, you know, he was reluctant in the past to compare these two, and he finally made this comparison. Hey, when it, when it comes to making money, sometimes, you know, we start making comparisons, we start talking. When the opportunity presents itself to get paid for those thoughts and ideas and opinions, we start talking. And Phil is talking. Interesting comparisons. I believe Jordan is the better player. But again, to Kobe's point, it would be interesting to see how different it would be if roles were reversed. If Kobe came in like Jordan, like Jordan and it was his team. Because, you know, he won those championships with Shaq, won three of those championships with Shaq, and those were not Kobe's teams. Those were Shaq's teams. Kobe did finally win two without Shaq. He did win his two without Shaq. And, you know, that those championships meant a lot to him because he wanted to prove all the naysayers wrong. All the naysayers wrong. All the doubters. Everybody who believed that Kobe could not win it without Shaq. Kobe was able to win it without Shaq two times. Two times he won it without Shaq. Kobe's great, Jordan is great, but I think Jordan is greater. And speaking of great, greater, and maybe greatest, or soon to be one of the greatest of all time, Floyd Mayweather Jr., and I I forgot to talk about this last week, ran out of time, wasn't able to talk about this, but Floyd Mayweather Jr. has won again. He's done it again. Uh, Undefeated, 43 have tried, 43 have failed. Floyd Mayweather, 44-0, dominant performance against Robert DeGos Guerrero. I mean, Floyd Mayweather, you know, we, we saw his last fight against Miguel Cotto, and we started thinking to himself, maybe he's slowing down a little bit. Cotto hit him, hit him with a lot of shots, and also Floyd seemed very stationary, didn't move around the way he once did, didn't use his legs like he once did. And against Guerrero, he used his legs. He used his legs against Guerrero. He moved around, didn't get hit a lot, was able to pot shot Robert Guerrero throughout the course of that fight, Bloody Guerrero's face up a little. And he was dominant. He was dominant. And a lot of people say, you know what? Well, you know, I want to see a Rios-Alvarado fight. Brandon Rios-Mike Alvarado. I want to see that type of fight. I want to see a back-and-forth slugfest. I mean, I, I like to see a slugfest just like anybody else, but I also like to see beauty. I like to see perfection. I like to see greatness. And that's what I saw the other night with Floyd Mayweather Jr., I saw a guy who was able to move around, a guy who was able to hit and not get hit. It was a thing of beauty, as far as I'm concerned. It truly was a thing of beauty to see Floyd Mayweather just move around that ring at the age of 36, just graceful. He was graceful. It was graceful. And his ability to hit and not get hit. 
And that's what this sport is all about. That's what the sport of boxing is all about. It's not about a slugfest. It's not about, you know, going back and forth with a guy. It's about hitting and not getting hit. It's about scoring and not getting scored upon. That's what this thing is about. It's about hitting and not getting hit. And Floyd Mayweather hit and didn't get hit. And there was talk that this pay-per-view didn't do over, well, did poor poorly in terms of pay-per-view buys. And that was the talk earlier in the week, earlier earlier in last week. That was the talk early last week. But as the week progressed, we found out that, yes, the pay-per-view actually did do over a million buys. Again, very impressive. Floyd Mayweather is boxing right now. He is at the top of the food chain. And the thing about it is what makes this even more impressive is Robert Guerrero was not a household name, was not a household name. Floyd Mayweather on the A side, Guerrero on the B side, and the person on the B side was not a household name. It's not like Miguel Cotto was on the B side this time around. It was Robert Guerrero, many, many, many boxing. A lot of casual boxing fans do not and did not know the name Robert Guerrero. The hardcore boxing fans knew about Robert Guerrero. They knew about Robert Guerrero. The casual fans did not. So to me, that makes a million pay-per-view buys even more so impressive. Floyd Mayweather has done it again. One, not only in the ring, but in the marketplace. Guaranteed him $32 million in that particular fight. A minimum of $32 million. He's probably gotten some more money in his pocket because everything is turning out right for Floyd, Money Mayweather. The money team. Very, very successful. And speaking of boxing, we're going to stick with boxing. A friend to our show. Devin Alexander has a big fight tomorrow in Atlantic City. I may be there. I may not hope to be there. But his opponent, Lee Purdy, failed to make weight in in this fight. The limit, the 147-pound limit, Lee Purdy, he failed to make weight. He failed to make weight. Alexander stepped on the scales at 146.7 pounds. He made weight. Very professional. Lee Purdy, on the other hand, was at 148. He had a couple hours to to try to lose the weight, try to lose a pound. He couldn't do it. The fight will go on. Alexander's belt is now not on the line. And the fight will go on, and Alexander does get compensated because of Purdy not making weight. Unprofessional not to make weight. Lee Purdy did not make weight. So he's going to give up 10% of his purse. Half will go to Devin Alexander, the other to the New Jersey Boxing Commission. You know, it's, it's an unfortunate thing when a guy fails to make weight. 
But Devin Alexander, you know, we we talked about Floyd Mayweather. Floyd Mayweather could be next for Devin Alexander if he does get by Lee Purdy. If not Mayweather, probably Khan will be next for Alexander. But this is a big fight for him. There is a lot of money there at the end of the rainbow for Devin Alexander if he can get by Lee Purdy. There is money to be made for Devin Alexander. If he gets by Lee Purdy, it's going to be a big fight next for him. Whether it's Amir Khan, whether it's Floyd Mayweather. Who knows? But I hope to be there tomorrow to support Devin Alexander. In Atlantic City tomorrow. He is a friend to this show. He's been on our show numerous times. Came on actually for our three year anniversary show. So I mean Devin Alexander is a is a good guy, good guy. I'm rooting for him. And hopefully again he can win tomorrow and if not Mayweather, maybe Khan. But again for him, there's got a lot of money to be made for Devin Alexander and I hope I hope he gets keeps making it and keeps getting that money. I hope he can continue to have at it and continue to make that money. Hopefully. For Devin Alexander. But it's gonna be a fight he should win. It was supposed to be Kel Brook. Brooks, you know, that we all know with that fight, that fight's been postponed a bunch of times. And then Lee Purdy was the guy who stepped up. Should be a very interesting fight. Going back to the Bulls and Miami Heat series, that was, I mean, give the Chicago Bulls a lot of credit. I didn't get a chance to sum that whole thing up, but, I mean, the Bulls, you know, they fought with a lot of heart, played with a lot of heart. Even in that game, last game against the uh, Miami Heat, they went out fighting. They went out fighting. They were up in the third, late. They were up going into the fourth quarter and were up in the fourth quarter, but Dwayne Wade was just a little too much, and the Miami Heat was just a little too much. All in all, all in all, give the Chicago Bulls a lot of credit. They did it without Rose. They did it without Dang. They did it without, you know, a lot Heinrich. They did it without a lot without a lot of their key guys. They did it without a lot of their big guys, and they still found a way to be successful. Still found a way to win at least one game, and found a way to battle Miami to the end. They fought Miami tooth and nail. Fought them to the end. They just didn't have enough. And there's going to be a lot of teams who won't have enough against the Miami Heat. A lot of people getting on Derrick Rose. I said it before, I'll say it again. Derrick Rose tells me he's not ready to go. He's not ready to go. I'm not forcing him back. I'm not pressuring him to come back. He tells me he's not good to go. He's not good to go. Bottom line, point blank. The Bulls as an organization, they want to decide. They want to be cautious. They want to be cautious. They wanted to be cautious. They wanted to be cautious, and I can't blame them. I can't. So you can't. You cannot knock Derrick Rose. And a lot of people are. A lot of people have and A lot of people will. But the bottom line is this. His body, he knows his body better than you, better than me, and better than anyone else. He knows his body better than all of us. So if he says that he can't go, if he says 
doesn't doesn't have enough muscle memory, if he says he's just not right, then guess what? He's just not right, and I have to leave it at that. Great run by the Chicago Bulls, Nate Robinson and those guys. Give that team a lot of credit. Coach Thibodeau, who was big time as well for the Bulls, give them a lot of credit. Give them a lot of credit. We want to thank Greg Smith of the Houston Rockets for stopping by. Make sure you follow Greg on Twitter at Jew, J-U underscore Smith 4. Follow him there on Twitter. He does. He did say he talks to his fans, so make sure you follow him there. You can listen to this show and other great shows at blogtalkradio.com slash can where you can listen to this show and other great shows. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at go for again. Make sure you hit us up on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash go for again. For everybody here at go for it, we hope you have a great weekend. See you later. Take care. Something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.